Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pencecast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, alongside me, he is the fellow contributing writer over at Pensburg.com and the co-host of the Pencecast and the Pencecast Mailbag here at the Skating Penguin Network. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, we were just talking uh, before we started recording, and as we record this on the evening of May 29th, uh, we still don't have official word about who will be the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So while we wait for that news, we have another mailbag to bring to all the listeners. And uh, I've had some really fun conversations over the last seven days with a couple of people. One of the listeners who DM'd me, Snail, who uh, has asked questions in the past on the mailbag, we were having uh, a really great time DMing on Twitter and, and and talking about the Penguins and the podcast and all, all that fun stuff. So uh, I appreciate uh, Snail reaching out and uh, having some fun chatting with him as well. But without further ado, Robbie, let's get into it. You, like always, get question number one. Question number one this week comes from Brian, and it's more of an exclamation than it is a question, but we will discuss it nonetheless. Carolina Hurricanes had their exit interviews, and Jordan Stahl said that he does not plan on going anywhere and perhaps wants to re-sign with the Carolina Hurricanes. So Brian says, I feel like most players say that. Zucker said that he wants to stay here in Pittsburgh, and it's pretty much 50-50 on what happens with Zucker. And uh, Brian concludes his statement in all caps by saying, come on home to our lost brother, uh, Robbie I know we've kind of br- briefly discussed this in the past. Would you take Jordan Stahl back as a, a third-line center, given his age and given that his contract is expiring? Or given that he is 34, I believe, going into his age 35 season, would you be more comfortable giving him fourth-line responsibilities if he was brought back? What are your thoughts? Any way you look at it, if you look at the Penguins roster and look what's out there, Jordan Stahl, uh, should he return to Pittsburgh, would obviously be the best third center on this team. So automatically I don't see anything out there on the market that I would say if it's Jordan Stahl would necessarily be better than Jordan Stahl or a massive upgrade for Jordan Stahl. Uh, And for the right price, I think that's something the Penguins have to look into. 
if he does hit the free agent market and doesn't resign in Carolina. And I think a lot of people said that he wants to, like he said, he wants to retire a Carolina hurricane. And I mean, everybody's going to say that if they're a free agent, I don't I think I've ever heard anybody uh, come out and say that, no, nah, I hate it here. I had time to move on. I think everybody says at least in to some degree that they've, they love where they're playing. They'd love to give it. Um, they'd love to come back. Uh, that whole spiel, you heard Zucker say it. Uh, and again, it all comes down to the price. And Jordan Stahl, I mean, as great as his time was in Pittsburgh uh, with the Cup uh, being drafted here, he, he's been in Carolina for the majority of his career. He's the captain there. He has a home there. That's where his roots are now. So I don't blame him for wanting to go back to Carolina and ending it there. They're going to be a very good team next year. I'd say if you compare the two teams right now, obviously I think Carolina has a better shot at a cup next year. They would at least be uh, more favored than the Penguins to to win a cup next year. Uh, and if you look at what they did this year, a lot of it was running into Sergei Bobrovsky. They didn't play terrible against Florida. Uh, obviously they got swept, but there have been uglier sweeps than that. So uh, yeah, I, I think that if Jordan Stahl would, if it would work out that he isn't going back to Carolina, then I think for the right price, he'd be a great fit in Pittsburgh. But as of now, we can we can dream about that, think about that. I know that's been a hot topic of conversation with our listeners uh, pretty much since the Penguins season ended, and maybe even before that uh, in terms of bringing Jordan Stahl back. But yeah, that's going to be a play-by-ear thing. I can see why he wants to remain in Carolina. But if it doesn't work out there, I think he could definitely find a home back here in Pittsburgh. Question number two uh, from the aforementioned snail. Uh, maybe a future mailbag could be dedicated to what we all, us, the hosts, and the listeners, would do if we were in the GM chair uh, this offseason. So, go, yeah, going back to uh, what I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Snail and I were DMing on, on Twitter and talking about the Penguins and the podcasts and all that stuff uh, because I had he, he had submitted some questions to the mailbag last week that uh, I didn't include last week. Uh, he just missed the cutoff point by a little bit heading into last week's show. So I think I took all of his questions that he asked and put them in this mailbag because they weren't really time sensitive. So we were talking about future things that we could do for the mailbag, for the mailbag, for the podcasts, all that stuff. We were talking about mer- potential merch and you know, if there even is a market for merchandise for the podcast, which I didn't even think. It was it was a real thing. I did not think we would ever get to a point uh, to where we would be selling merchandise, but I think this is a good idea. And you know, we're heading into June now. The draft isn't for uh, another couple of weeks, and then we get into free agency. So after the GM announcement, there's going to be a there's going to be a dead period. I wouldn't be opposed to talking next week about what Robbie, if you were the GM or if I were the GM. Or if we get other listeners who listen to this and want to submit a question like that or give suggestions on what they would do as uh, if they were the general manager, I think that would be a fun idea to to switch up the format a little bit. So uh, now that I have that written down, uh, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. I imagine, uh, like I said, I imagine we won't be doing too many crazy things over the course of the next three or so weeks until we get to the draft. So uh, that is definitely in my back pocket. And, uh, yeah, we will uh, wait and see, and we'll probably fit that hypothetical scenario into next week's show. Question number three also comes from Snail, and this is a good uh, retrospective kind of question. 
Do you guys ever wish the Penguins had made something work out longer term with Jerome McGinley? Because Snail absolutely does. The conference final exit that year was painful, and he wished they would have run it back with the majority of the same team. Robbie, I agree with Snail. I, what I don't agree with was obviously Dan Bilesma using Aginla on his off wing for whatever reason. But cast your mind back to 2013, I think it was, Robbie. What do you make of the potential of running it back with Jerome Aginla? I was kind of in that boat as well. Uh, again, the 2013 season ended obviously poorly, as we know. But that 2013 team, if you take away the... Eastern Conference Final, that was a very good hockey team. Remember, they were the be- the top team, uh, top seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, frankly, wasn't close. The only reason they weren't uh, the President's Trophy winners is because Chicago got off to that absolutely insane start to the season where they won like 15 of their first like 17 games or something like that. So they had a, a huge head start that nobody was going to catch up to, especially over the course of that was, if you remember, that was the strike uh, or the lockout shortened. Uh, season they only played I think 48 games or 46 games or something like that that season so no it was a good team they obviously completely fell apart against the Bruins but a part of that was uh, Tukarax being basically Sergei Bobrovsky uh, in a way like that but again for all I mean I wrote about this a couple weeks ago about uh, that trade and kind of how all things went down but I would have absolutely loved Aginla with a full season on Crosby's wing to see how things would have uh, played out because they had chemistry. And there's a lot of to write about the Aginla and Spearman in Pittsburgh, but he really only – because remember, the, his debut game was the game that Crosby had his jaw broken on a shot and missed literally the rest of the regular season. He did not play the rest of that regular season – uh, so him and Crosby really never got that moment uh, together in Pittsburgh. And I think that a whole season, you would have seen a very good results from both of those guys. Again, let's still had a lot of game left. He played for a couple seasons after that, was productive uh, during the rest of his career. Uh, Crosby was obviously still, there was a couple years after his concussion. So he was kind of ramping back up to the player he was uh, before that. So, I mean, overall, absolutely would have loved to give Jerome again another shot. Didn't work out. He went. To, he ended up in Boston in the end anyway. Uh, unfortunately, never got that cup. Finished his career in Colorado. But I think overall, I would have definitely been on the uh, again the 2014 bandwagon. Uh, question number four comes from uh, I believe at least as far as I can remember a new question asker. Uh, this is from Greg A. Uh, with Brian Paling being a restricted free agent. Do you try to lock him up for a few years as a third or fourth line guy or give him a one year prove it deal? I can't imagine him getting more than a one getting more than one million per season uh, on a contract. Greg is absolutely right there when talking about the financials. I, I do not see Ryan Palin getting more than a million dollars given his really offensive limitations, and that's not a discredit to him. I was a- I actually wrote up the season review for Ryan Paling over at Pensburg.com a couple of weeks ago, I think now. And I I made the argument that if the new general manager brings Ryan Paling back, because he is a restricted free agent, so like Greg mentioned, the Penguins do control his rights. Uh, They can tender the restricted offer and match any offer that he may get on the open market, or they may decide to just part ways completely if a new general manager has a new vision. A couple of the things working in Paling's favor is that he's 24 and 
So he's young and he will not command a lot on the open market. Like even Greg mentions here, you have a cheap player, a young player, a player who let's be frank is not going to score a lot, but again, you're not going to ice an entire lineup of scores. You need to round it out with competent death players, penalty killers. And that's exactly what Ryan Palin could be. If you get rid of a player like Jeff Carter or Mikel Granlin via buyout or what have you, then yeah, there is definitely absolutely a, a, a possibility of Paling maybe maybe seeing third line minutes next year. I think in an ideal scenario, Paling is best suited on the fourth line. Hopefully you can go the external route and maybe acquire someone who's better suited to play third line minutes. Given Paling's recent statistics and career statistics that he's not going to score a lot. So if you put him on the bottom, the fourth line, penalty killer again, that kind of player... He can be very competent for you. So I I have no qualms with bringing Ryan Paling back into this lineup next season. He is competent at both ends of the ice. He'll pot the odd goal for you here and there. And uh, again, he will be something of an effective penalty killer, something along those lines. And again, all teams need those kinds of players. You can't ice 12 forwards of just pure snipers because... I mean, that, that's almost impossible to do. And a good championship team has a rounded out roster filled with different role players and depth guys. And Ryan Paling definitely fits that bill of being a, a serviceable depth player, penalty killer, filling in a pinch in the top nine if he needs to. But yeah, absolutely. Next year at 24, 25 years old, a young guy on a cheap contract, it's exactly what the Penguins will need, especially with a new general manager trying to come in and fix some of the warts on this roster. Question number five also comes from Greg A. I don't think anyone would consider a buyout of Brian Rust after one bad year. If he had a similar year going into 2023-24, is it possible that the, the team cuts ties with Brian Rust? I found it frustrating that the team never moved him down the lineup last year to try someone else new in the top six. Robbie, given perhaps Brian Rust's struggles during 2022-23, do you agree with this line of thinking about potentially cutting ties with Brian Rust if he struggles again this season? A lot to break down uh, here from Greg. Uh, and a very good question focusing on a very important part of uh, what the Penguins do and a guy that has two Stanley Cups with his name and been an important role player in those, uh, those runs. But yeah, Rust, after signing that big deal last off season, uh, a down year this year, disappointment, uh, the results weren't there. The finishing numbers were down um, for, and he was relatively healthy this season too. I mean, a guy that has been uh, missed chunks of time uh, in the past was on the ice a considerable amount this season. And again, playing with Crosby, Gensel, Malkin, uh, he moves between those top sixes. And the problem with moving him down to the bottom six is the options to replace him aren't as sufficient as what Brian Rust, even during his his struggles, uh, brings you in that top six. So I don't think necessarily moving him down the roster does anything, but uh, maybe lowers his morale a little bit and damages his self-confidence but as for moving on I, I don't want to say that he's not a trade a trade piece if the right deal comes along a buyout is completely out of the question he has he, he has value as as a trade piece he's he is only 30 uh, so I think overall looking at him as a buyout candidate is not the route to go and even if he has a down season next year would not even be the route to go and again he would still have four years left on that deal 
the way the buyouts work, it would just be dead money sitting there for way too long. And he would definitely still have some trade value on the open market to get some picks and kind of uh, help that prospect pull depth a little bit. So, yeah, not not feeling the, the buyout route. And I think that, I mean, if the right deal comes along, who's to say uh, with the new GM coming in, who's to say what what does or does not happen? But I think he's in Pittsburgh uh, at least through next season. And, and really, unless you have an option that you feel is better than Brian Rust, uh, just because moving him down the roster mixes things up, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the best thing because if you don't have anybody uh, that brings you what Brian Rust does, then not really doing anything to your to your lineup uh, to give it a boost. So um, I'm a I'm a big Rust guy. I've always been a big Rust guy. So some bias is probably coming through there, but I think he's on this roster uh, come October, uh, regardless of who ends up taking the GM job uh, in Pittsburgh and. I think that, and personally, I think that he bounces back a little bit. Uh, there were so many guys this year that when you look at the underlying numbers, the finishing became so bad and really hurt what they uh, what they were able to do offensively. So if that number, if that finishing even returns a little bit, I think Brian Ross gets back into that 20-25 goal range. And if he gets really lucky, maybe even more than that. So I think Russ still has something to give, and I'd love to see him uh, continue to be a part of this Penguins team. Now we move on to Brian, uh, who comes in with question number six. Uh, do you think the hire of the new general manager, uh, whoever it may be, uh, can have pull for free agents or players uh, wanting trades uh, to come here to Pittsburgh? So this is a good question. And for the sake of this question, for the sake of all of the insider reports that have been coming out regarding the general manager position, let's say it's Kyle Dubas, because a lot of signs are pointing to that being the eventual case and Dubas accepting the job. I was always curious, uh, since ever since that Shanahan conference where he was let go, I have been really curious to see if, if FFG allows Kyle Dubas to construct his own personnel department, if perhaps Jason Spezza comes with him, because it looks like from the outside looking in, Jason Spezza was very loyal to Kyle Dubas. That's why he tendered his resignation the same day Dubas was let go. Looking at certain players, I can't name a lot of, you know, bit play, bit Toronto players off the top of my head. You know, obviously you have your Matthews, your Nylander, uh, your, your Mitch Marner, your Morgan Riley. You have your big name players in Toronto that I don't think are going anywhere. But considering what, Dubas built in Toronto for several seasons. I am curious to see if he has a couple of those players, perhaps on expiring contracts or contracts that the new Leafs general manager may look to shed. If he has close connections with some of those players, maybe on speed dial and the Penguins have a need for that. Maybe you see some faces once familiar in Toronto come south of the border to Pittsburgh. So I, I, I do wonder if if Kyle Dubas does go that route or a route similar to that. But here's what I will also say to Brian's question. Whoever the new general manager is, I think there will be a, a sense that free agents or trade candidates will want to come here. But look, as long as Crosby and Malkin and Latang are on the ice and performing at a decently high level, you're always going to want you're always going to have that sense of players from other organizations wanting to come here. Everybody would give up their left leg for a chance to play with Sidney Crosby or Guinea Malkin and a decent chance at being considered a Stanley Cup contender, even after this down year. 
as long as you have those players competing at a decently high level, you're always going to have guys. You, you always hear it when a new guy gets traded to Pittsburgh. Oh, I, I love the chance to play with, with Crosby and Malkin. It's a great hockey city, uh, great fans, yada, yada, yada. The, there's definitely going to be that aura of players wanting to come here because it is a good hockey city. Uh, we still have the elite franchise cornerstones playing at a high level. So definitely, I could definitely see a scenario in which the potential free agents or trade candidates look at Pittsburgh still as a as an intriguing option to come and try and win a championship. Question number seven, we'll go back to Snail. Here's an interesting question. How do you feel about Drew O'Connor as an internal option to replace Jason Zucker if he departs via free agency? And would you be shocked if he if Drew O'Connor could match or improve the offen- the offensive output that Jason Zucker provided? I feel like Drew's size and willingness to forecheck and he's shown creative glimpses and being able to create offense in in spurts. So Robbie, this is really interesting, a a scenario that I really didn't consider given Drew O'Connor's rather limited NHL sample size. But if Jason Zucker departs via free agency and they go the internal route, what do you think about Drew O'Connor and his game and how it relates to potentially a top six role? I really like Drew O'Connor. I'm not sure that Drew O'Connor is Jason Zucker levels of offensively talented. And we're still kind of waiting on that Drew O'Connor moment in Pittsburgh. And I do think he comes back next season. But it just, he does, he has shown ability to create offense. It just doesn't feel like it's all there. And I I love him as a bottom six guy, Drew O'Connor. But if Zucker's there at the right price, I'm all Jason Zucker back in Pittsburgh. We're still waiting for that. We've heard so much about Drew O'Connor over the past few seasons. Uh, that at some point you just you hope that it can all come together at some point, but we're still waiting on that true break for, breakthrough. And I think that banking on Drew O'Connor of he of little sample size to be the Jason Zucker replacement uh, is a little too rich, uh, rich for me. And again, Drew's going to play cheap. We know that Zucker obviously going to cost more, but Zucker has the track record. His season this year. Has, was excellent and he revived so much to what the Penguins do. And again, you're working with a very limited roster of guys that are known scorers uh, on this Penguins team. And for the new general manager to come in and look at what's available, I'm still going Jason Zucker. No offense to Drew O'Connor. And I think O'Connor is perfectly fine with a role on the bottom six. He is big. He is. He does have speed. He does have an offensive touch. Uh, so I think if you can get Zucker... Uh, back in Pittsburgh, and O'Connor to fill out that bottom six. Uh, that's the way I go. Question number eight uh, from Brian. Uh, what do you think about Crystal Tang being nominated for the Bill Master Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy and Evgeny Malkin the King Clancy Memorial Trophy? So I can't sit here and say that I have in-depth knowledge of every team's nominee for the Masterton Trophy or the King Clancy Trophy. But being hyper-focused on the Penguins like I am for writing and podcasting, I would say that given Chris Letang lost his father in January and also suffered the second stroke in his playing career, to come back at all this season is a testament to the person, the athlete, and the competitor that Chris Letang is. Not only 
do you lose your father, who I'm sure he was incredibly close with. You also suffer a major medical episode, suffering not your first, but your second career stroke, and Latang is only 35, 36 years old. So, I mean, look, I don't know what kind of adversity the other nominees in this uh, this list have faced, but I have to imagine. I know Latang was a finalist for the Masterton Trophy in 2015, I believe it was, and he lost it that year. I would absolutely, I would have no problem giving giving this trophy to Latang. The trophy is awarded each year to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey as per the Professional Hockey Writers Association members who vote on these awards. So given what Latang has gone through in the last six or seven months alone, he would certainly take my vote as the winner for the Masterton Trophy. Looking at the King Clancy nominees, this award recognizes leadership qualities and contributions to the community. I know the NHL has a lot of... Uh, a lot of awards based on certain categories and whatnot. I can't say I'm incredibly familiar with recent recipients of the King Clancy Memorial Trophy, but looking at leadership qualities and efforts made on and off the ice, I know Evgeny Malkin is very big in the community. He is always hosting uh, kids from Make-A-Wish and all sorts of charitable organizations in his suites. In, in PPG Paints Arena, and I'm sure Sidney Crosby has one too, and he does the same thing. So, but uh, yeah, I know Evgeny Malkin, and in his time he's been here in Pittsburgh for the 15 plus years he has been here, he has gone above and beyond to help the less advantaged. So, absolutely. Looking at these two nominees for the Penguins, granted, this is probably coming from a person who has bias being a, a Penguins fan and who has to write and podcast about the Penguins on a daily basis, but I have no issue giving the award to either of these players considering what both awards mean in their respective categories compared to the other nominees. So absolutely. Uh, when the NHL awards are announced, I think in June or July, whenever they are, uh, yeah, get Latang in there, get Malkin in there because both are stand-up players, stand-up people who have done done a lot for the community and in Latang's case being through so much personally and professionally, uh, I have no issue if he were to win this award as well. Question number nine, we'll go back to Brian. It's crazy to see how that loss to the Blackhawks changed the fortunes of, of the Blackhawks and the Florida Panthers towards the end of the regular season. Florida is looking like that team of destiny and Chicago obviously won the draft lottery to draft the rights to Connor Bedard. It's pretty crazy how everything has kind of dominoed since uh, that game, the Penguins are in the, uh, the what seems to be the final stages of uh, a new general manager hire, a complete cleaning of the front office. The Florida Panthers, uh, probably the biggest benefactors of all this, uh, making the play, not only making the playoffs, but now within four wins of winning the Stanley Cup, uh, one of the most, one of the truly incredible runs in Stanley Cup playoff history, and then Chicago. They actually, they're shuffling uh, with that kind of aided other teams and getting a better uh, or better shot at getting Connor Bedard. But in the end, it is they uh, who comes away with the ultimate prize in the draft. 
So pretty crazy how so many so many franchises were affected uh, by that game. And then even if you look at like Boston, I, if the Penguins get into the eight seed, I just don't see them beating that Boston team. I, I just really don't. Florida was just, they got the opportunity and they took it. it again, it combines Sergei Bobrovsky, Matthew Kachuk, uh, how good that team has been. So much changed uh, with that Penguins loss to the Penguins that uh, it's pretty incredible to think about. And we're only now kind of seeing the ramifications. This is only the short-term ramifications of that loss because if somehow the Penguins win that game, Florida maybe doesn't make the playoffs. Chicago, you don't know if they get Bedard, how those balls bounce. The Penguins, they I still think they clean the front office even if they make the playoffs and lose to the Bruins, but you never know. So pretty crazy uh, set of circumstances there. And yeah, we're going to be feeling the ramifications from that, from that game for many, many years. Uh, question number 10 from Brian. The corn answers had me rolling. Uh, this is obviously going back to last podcast when we talked about how we eat corn. Uh, but Brian says that I have it right. Uh, and I say, obviously, acorn, you put it horizontally and eat from side to side or left or right, I should say. And what I said was also how vertically you vertically eating it. It's also laying horizontally, but you eat it in a circle or eating it like a, a rotisserie chicken spins. Um, and like a typewriter is the only way that sane people eat it. It's been seven days since we had that discussion uh, about corn, and I saved the best question for last. I'm not going to tease it, but I absolutely saved question number 12 for uh, the best for last this week. Uh, It's been seven days since we had that discussion uh, about the way that you eat corn, and still, I woke up two days later, I had night sweats and night terrors because (laughs) of the the thoughts that ran through my head at 3 a.m. about how how insane people may eat their corn but yes I, I was reminded and i was comforted by the fact that as i saw brian's response to this question from from last week I, I was comforted when i was putting together the outline to know that eating it like a typewriter as we mentioned last week and mentioned now that being the the sane way to eat corn on the cob fills me with so much safety and comfort it's like a warm blanket on a cold night it fills me with with confidence knowing that the world is not lost, and we can fight the darkness in this world because we have people who will eat corn like a typewriter, who will go left to right, side to side, just like the typewriter should be. And uh, it sounds like I'm giving a, a political speech here about the importance of eating corn, and I very well should be because it, it is an important topic that I think we need to teach our children about the future generations, how important it is to to eat corn on the cob. You can't be raising them to be savages and eat it like a rotisserie chicken. You can't be doing that. It has to be like a typewriter. You have to go left to right. But I like like I said, I saved the best question, question number 12 for last. Before we get to question number 12, we're going to question number 11. Robbie, uh, I don't have too many thoughts on this. What do you think about the Casamigos Club being added to PPG Paints Arena? Earlier this year, they mentioned there's going to be improvements coming to the PPG Paints Arena, and this is going to be one of them. Again, a lot of the the improvements uh, being made will not be seen by a vast majority of uh, Penguins fans, and we can debate that at another time, uh, how that all works out or how that should exactly be done. But FSG, uh, 
they want to make money, and one way of doing that is bringing in your uh, big ticket tick or big big money ticket buyers, and that is executives, companies, uh, people like that. So that's kind of what the Casamigos Club caters to. And hey, I mean they're a company trying to make money, um, and those people that they bring in are willing to spend money. So uh, it kind of makes sense that this is the direction uh, they're going at the moment. And last but not least, the question that Garrett just teased uh, again from Brian, who has been the food question connoisseur uh, since this kind of uh, rolling joke started. What is the best form of potato to eat in fry form? Brian's vote is waffle fries with potato wedges, a very close second. So, Brian, I know you're listening to this when this will go. This will go live on Tuesday. I know you're listening to this. And I sincerely mean it. If you, by some form or fashion, can can supply us with one food question, at least one food question per week for the foreseeable future, that will be an incredible feat in and of itself. But let's get to the topic at hand. The best form of potato to eat in fry form. So Brian, right off the bat, goes with what I'm going to say. I'm going to agree with him straight up. And say waffle fries are legit. Chick-fil-A's waffle fries are are just some of the best that I've ever had. Really, anything you get at a Chick-fil-A restaurant, their chicken sandwiches are good. The lemonade is good. Their waffle fries are chef's kiss. Potato wedges. I haven't had a good potato wedge in a long time. I had them a lot growing up. And I remember when my mom would come home from Walmart and we would do the, the quick and easy thing would be to go to the, like the Walmart deli or whatever, whatever it was, she'd get a big, uh, bowl of like popcorn chicken and she'd get, uh, a big thing of potato wedges and that would be our dinner. And that's what I most, most closely associate potato wedges with. So I, I agree with Brian here. I love waffle fries. Uh, I, I love I love potatoes, man. I just I love potato. I, I'm not a big baked potato person. I can I can do without the baked potato, but yeah, if you want to fry potatoes and put them in front of me, tater tots, French fries, waffle fries, uh, potato wedges, potato skins with bacon and cheese on them. It's just so good, fantastic. Uh, Robbie, of course, I have to get you in on this discussion as we close out the podcast here. Do you agree with Brian and I regarding the the waffle fry being the best form, or do you have a another opinion going against the grain when talking about fried potatoes? I I love waffle fries. I can't can't hate the waffle fry take. Um, I'm a big fan of curly fries though, um, especially Arby's curly fries. Obviously, that's kind of like the uh, the default uh, kind of answer there, and they sell them now in store that you can just buy them. Uh, frozen so uh, i definitely have um a bag of those always at the ready uh, uh wedges I, it's been like you said it's been so long since i had a really good potato wedge and there's such a a fine line there because you can underdo them and they're too mushy you can overdo them and they're too crispy absolutely uh, um waffle fries definitely right up there um one that i I, I enjoy, I don't know how other people feel about it, are potato smiles. And if you don't know what that is, you probably do, because they do sell them in stores. It's basically a potato pancake fried in, their, in a smiley face shape. 
those are amazing. Oh, yeah. With like Sloppy Joe. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. We used yeah. to have them in school all the time. Yep. And I didn't have them for the longest time. And I saw them at the store a couple years ago. I'm like, man, it's been so long. And they are just as good as I remember them being. So that is definitely up there as a low key, under the radar kind of dark horse when it comes to this discussion. I also like just your generic it needs to be crisp i need a little crunch to my fries um so any like you get some that are just a standard like a mcdonald's fry basically uh that you can make at home they're uh, just have a nice little crunch on the outside a little bit of breading um they can be crinkle cut straight cut whatever big on the curly fries i like my fries seasoned um i can eat potatoes in about any way possible uh, garrett said he's not a big baked potato fan um i am as long as they it comes with sufficient toppings so they're not dry little mini potatoes that are roasted up with some seasoning right up my alley garlic potatoes uh and butter um one thing that he mentioned that i think that needs pointed out is the eliteness of loaded baked potato skins awesome i think throw a little little either ranch dipping sauce or uh, sour cream on those and elite absolutely elite you can buy them um to make it home i think uh there's a tgi friday's band there's a farm rich brand if you're familiar with those but uh, an elite again really hard to screw up potatoes for me i love mashed potatoes uh fries um baked potato skins however i can eat potatoes in about any way you make them so uh the only thing i don't like is i don't like sweet potatoes could never really it, it, for, for me potatoes are not meant to be sweet and it's just been kind of an aversion for me uh, one of the few foods um i don't eat but i know they're good for you but getting back to fries i'm gonna go curly one i'll go waffle too because good waffle fries are yeah they're top tier they're s tier third i'm gonna go with a uh, standard straight cut with a little bit of crunch uh, but I'm also putting uh, potato smiles in that uh, top tier category because, man, they're so good. Robbie, this is uh, this may be a weird question. This is a question for, for, from me. Um, when you do eat baked potatoes, do you eat the skin of the potato? Because uh, yeah, because I generally I, do. I, yeah, I, I do, too. I don't know how like how weird that may seem to some people because I know, I know some people in my family that don't eat the skin of, of the baked potato. And I I don't know if there's any like health benefits to the skin or, or whatnot, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that I I don't, I feel like it's part of the potato. It's part of the meal itself. And I just, I feel like you shouldn't leave that on the plate when you're eating it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mentally prepared to get tweets next week in the mailbag calling me a weirdo for possibly eating the skin of the baked potato but I, I at least had to get your thoughts on if you ate your skin when you do have baked potato yeah absolutely um i know people as well that don't eat that will sit there and peel the potato before eating it and when it's cooked the peeling usually comes uh right off but no i am a um a, i eat the skin of the potato i have no problem with it i don't uh the taste of it doesn't i mean that's actually where most of the nutrients are in potatoes um as with most vegetables the skin 
um, of of the vegetable. But no, I have no problem with the eating the skin of the potato. Um, again, the big thing with me for baked potatoes is uh, it has to have enough seasoning or uh, condiments because I do not like them dry uh, at all. So yeah, a little butter, sour cream. And then if you're doing like mini baked potatoes, uh, some oil or some garlic powder, some salt, pepper, uh, stuff like that. But I never, I'm never a skin, never is an aversion for me. All right. With that, we have tackled another food question. We have tackled all of the questions in this week's Penn's cast mailbag. And Brian, I, if, if you do remember to submit more food questions, I will keep you to that. And, uh, because I love having these discussions so much, Call it favoritism, but I run the show around here and I can do what I want for this mailbag. So the food questions will be the main event of these mailbags for for as long as we get them. If we stop getting them next week, then obviously things will change. But uh, I I love these off-topic, non-hockey discussions so much that the food questions, whether you love them or you hate them, uh, well, that's too bad because, like Uh I said, I run the ship around here. Of course, with Robbie's input as well. I'm not a dictator. But... Uh, I, I, I love these discussions, so we're definitely going to keep them coming as we get into the, the hotter and hotter days of late spring, early summer. And uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show, this uh, podcast episode will go live uh, on May 30th, in the, in the morning of May 30th, probably around 6 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, I do anticipate the Penguins having some sort of announcement regarding their general manager within the next couple of days. And like I mentioned on last week's episode, and I'll mention it here, uh, when we do that, when we do get that official announcement, we will, Robbie and I will set aside maybe 15 to 20 minutes and break down the new general manager hire for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But until we get that official news, uh, I have been Garrett Behanna for Robbie Noggle. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Penn's Cast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.